Hi and welcome to Get Lost in Great Film, a new podcast series from View Entertainment. I'm James King. In this series, I ask film buffs from either side of the screen about their five favourite film moments. You know, like the door scene in Titanic or the chest-bursting scene from Alien. Those captivating cinema moments that are just amplified on the big screen, making you feel like you're there. So I want to know how the epic moments that make up these stories we know and love have gone on to inspire the creative processes of people in the business. Each week we immerse ourselves in a new genre, love, music, action, drama, cinematography and comedy, to better understand how creative mavericks have crafted worlds for us to escape into. Bringing scenes to life on the big screen to make us feel like we're stood in that very moment experiencing it in person. And today we're getting lost in comedy with comedian Ellie Taylor. Hello Ellie Taylor, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm very good. Ellie Taylor you will know as a comedian, an actor and a Steve Tyler (laughs) lookalike. Not my words, but the words of her website. And my husband. And many other people, yes. <laughs> Which one of those three are you most proud of, Ellie? Um, I mean, Steve Tyler is a great, great man. Looks cracking in his seventies, doesn't he? If I look, a, if I look a little bit like that when I'm uh, a pensioner, I'll be very pleased. And actually, Steve Tyler it does feature in one of your five comedy choices. There is a Steve Tyler link that we will get onto because oh. we will be speaking specifically about comedy movies with you. But yeah. uh, let's talk generally to start off with because we are all about going to the cinema, getting lost in great movies. So tell me a bit about you as a cinema goer and the kind of movies you like. What are your favourites? As a comedian, you'd think I'd love comedies. I actually, they're not my favourite genre, I'll be honest. Okay. I, it's a bit of a, I find sometimes... Um, I suppose when I was younger it wasn't, but since I've become a comedian, I find it. Uh, it's sort of sometimes I feel it, it's it can be a bit of a busman's holiday. Yeah, I have to really sort of shake off my profession and try and pretend that I'm not a comedian before I can sort of get lost in a comedy. And as a cinema goer, I suppose things have changed for me in the last few years because I had a kid. So people always say when I when I was pregnant, people said to me all the time, "Oh, get all your cinema trips in now." <laughs> and I was like, "Why? God, why do people?" saying this it won't be that hard to go to the cinema but they're absolutely spot on our cinema frequenting has definitely gone down which is sad because it was you know just a classic weekend activity that we would do although our first date night after we had the kid we had a a mother-in-law over to look after the baby and we went to a local like shopping center we had a bottle of prosecco in the food court and then we went to see (laughs) um I know, living our best lives uh, while looking at Dorothy Perkins. And then we went to see Avengers Endgame. So your your baby, your child, uh, are they old enough to have gone to the cinema yet? No, she's 16 months old. So she can watch an episode of Mr. Tumble, but she can't. That's 20 minutes I've got her to sit for. But yes, we're right. not into films yet. But I cannot wait for the day that she's old enough to watch a film. I haven't watched Frozen ever because I figure at some point in my life I will have to watch it 3,000 times. Yep. So I'm saving it for when I when I need to. <laughs> um, I was watching one of your stand-up routines 
I'll be honest, it was the one about losing your virginity. Oh, and uh, and I just thought it was, it's, I mean, it's brilliant because it's so, the, the detail in it is so fabulous and it, it plays out like a movie scene. I mean, it plays out like something from a Judd Apatow <laughs> movie, that kind of awkwardness. And I'm just right. wondering if you've, if you've written or have thought about writing films. Not films like every comic uh, I've written sitcom scripts. Who has it? Everyone's writing a flipping sitcom. Um, but no, never. I, I, no, I wouldn't even know where to start with a film. The idea of, yeah, some kind of plotting out that sort of level of detail. I just think that would be not part of my skill set. You know, give me another 20 years, perhaps, maybe. But um No. Maybe I should set my sights higher, though. Maybe I should. Maybe it is. Yeah, you're right. It is a really good bit of stand-up. I should put it into a film. <laughs> it's a great little coming-of-age, you know, little short story that you tell. So I think that could be expanded into a nice little teen movie. Sure, sure. And I think the comedy, like, I suppose that in that that bit that I do about losing my virginity, how it is really awkward and, it, yeah, the stupid details about how he smelled of Lynx Africa and things like that, that kind of thing, <laughs> I think really plays into one of my film choices, which we'll come on to later. Um, yeah, that kind of just silly humour is my favourite. Well, uh, I mentioned Judd Apatow, and he is actually mm. the producer of your first comedy film choice, so perhaps yes. you want to tell us a bit about this one and why you like it so much. Well, yes, and this is exactly the one that I was talking about. So it is Bridesmaids, which is, I would be astounded if anyone of my sort of age, especially a woman, wouldn't have that in their top five comedy films because it's just so bloody funny. I went back and watched <laughs> some uh, some clips from it and there's just so many standout moments. My initial thought when I started thinking about it was the scene on the plane where she's drunk. And then I started thinking, oh, no, there's the, obviously the poop scene, which I just <laughs> watched again before I came to speak to you. And, oh, my God, I was dying just watching it. And Melissa McCarthy absolutely steals it. So it's when all the, um, all the, all the bridesmaids are in a, a bridal shop and they're going to try on bridal dresses. They've got food poisoning. <laughs> And suddenly it's like it's coming out of everywhere. There's <laughs> Melissa McCarthy on a sink saying, look away. <laughs> and then it's coming out of me like lava. It's just <laughs> sensational. And she just steals so many of the scenes. And it's it are oh, just proper laugh out loud moments. And it's obviously lovely to see an ensemble of such brilliant women on the screen. I just I love that film. And it's one of those ones where you could just watch again and again and again it's just it's perfect it's a perfect film yeah there's certainly a kind of fearlessness about it isn't there which i don't think we'd really seen before in terms of female-led comedies i mean they seem to be more like the rom-coms we mentioned earlier a bit more sweet and twee but bridesmaids comes out and it just has this sort of relentlessness this this real down-to-earth quality the honesty about it that i just don't think we'd seen before yeah, and the, and the, even like the grossness of the poo scene, I think, is not something that you would associate with a girl film. But I mean, with like with a cast of women. But I cannot like the amount of chats me and my girlfriends have that end up talking about poo. And I think like a lot, <laughs> I think a lot of female discussions, like WhatsApp groups between women, are disgusting. And I think we always think it's oh, it's blokes are gross. No, women are just as gross. And I to see that to see that visibly played out also against the backdrop of the um you know pristine white bridal shop with <laughs> uh, just 
just fantastic. Um, and I guess that you can see something similar in your stand-up, actually, because there is this down-to-earth quality about it, isn't there? The sort of honesty about it. I'm going to talk honestly about sex, about parenting. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of warts and all. You're not hiding anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I really enjoy that sort of side of comedy. I, I quite enjoy, I suppose, reveling in the uncomfortable, <laughs> which isn't everyone to everyone's taste. But um like in Bridesmaids, during the scene where they've all got food poisoning, there's a bit between Rose Byrne and Kristen Wiig where Kristen Wiig clearly is feeling awful. Um, <laughs> but uh, she, she's trying to pretend she she isn't, so she sort of stays one up. You're not sick. No, no. In fact, Helen, I'm hungry and I wish I had a snack. You're hungry? Starving. And then Rose Byrne ends up giving her some food, like gives her a sugared almond to eat because uh, Kristen Wiig is just determined to say she's not sick and she's actually hungry. And that like level of you just see her like dying inside as she eats the sugared almond and they really push that moment, that kind of uncomfortableness. And when there's there's a brilliant scene between Kristen Wiig and Rose Byrne again where they're doing, I think it's like sort of the bridal, not the bridal shower, but like the engagement party, I think it is. And um, they're both doing speeches to the bride, Maya Rudolph, and they both sort of take it in turns and then one comes back and grabs the microphone again and you think there's no way, like, no one can say anything else after this, but then they keep taking the microphone off each other. It ends up with the most horrific duet (laughs) of all time. And, yes, it's like it's pushing pushing the envelope of, of what you can sort of get away with and just taking things a little bit too far. Yeah, I really enjoy watching, which I think is quite a specific kind of comedy that not everyone likes. My husband, for instance, I mean, uh, from a TV point of view, The the Office would be a classic example of this. And we have had discussions about this. I I love The Office and I revel in that awkwardness, whereas my husband finds it really difficult to watch and doesn't like it. He doesn't find it fun. He just does find it awkward. But yeah, I like the awkwardness a lot. So how does he deal with watching your stand up then? Well, by the time my husband sees my stand up, he's heard it probably a few times so it's he kind of he says I've actually ruined comedy for him because he's kind of seen where the sausages are made now so he now like (laughs) I'll I'll tell him a joke and be like what do you think of this and instead of being like laughing or something he'll think about it for a minute and be like yes that is funny like he's just he sort of computes it and sort of dissects it so yes, I've ruined comedy for my husband. So what a kind word. That, that's quite a big statement. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> I think I was watching that poop scene again myself. And I think when that bit you mentioned, when it's Rose Byrne and Kristen Wiig and, and Rose mm. is trying to kind of wind her up and offering her the food. Each time they cut back to Kristen, she's a little more sweaty. So there's yes. obviously someone yes. with a spray gun, a water yes. spray gun spraying her. And I think she's trying not to laugh as well. I think you can see that she's... Which I, I don't mind, personally. I think it's enjoyable to watch, you know, that she's absolutely loving filming this scene and is trying not to corpse. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah, it's brilliant. I was thinking that myself. Like, there's just every every cut back, she's slightly more disgusting looking. And, like, her shirt, it gets wetter and wetter. And she, yeah, she looks really gross. And then you see a lady in um, a wedding dress shit in the street. So that's a scene I think she <laughs> can make any, any movie better, I think. <laughs> Well, your second choice is interesting because, first of all, it's one of those romantic comedies. I mean, a classic romantic comedy almost defines the whole genre of romantic comedy. But secondly, it's also another wedding film. 
So there's obviously something about weddings generally for comedies that that make for great comedies. I remember reading James Corden talking about that. I think, in fact, he got the idea for Gavin and Stacey at a family wedding and thought about, you know, families getting together, what great comedy gold that is. And awkward, in fact, because it is often awkward, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose that's really true. Actually, I hadn't thought about it like that. But yes, it's it's the sort of mixing of all these random disparate people and friends and family. They all get together and the stakes are also quite high. So I suppose that adds just an underlying sort of tension, bit of jeopardy in the mix. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just rife to sort of bring unlikely people together. So my second film is Four Weddings, which is just one of the best films of all time. Um, so I think this must have come out when I was still in primary school. So I didn't watch it. So it's it. 1994. Yes. Yeah, so I was still in primary school. So I didn't watch it for a few years. I think I must have seen it when I was like early T, like 14, 15. And I just remember the scene that particularly sticks out to me is when Hugh Grant gets sort of stuck in a room where a newly married couple are bonking and he ends up (laughs) hiding in this sort of cupboard and it's just the funniest thing so it's uh, Hugh Grant hiding in the cupboard there's um and the characters are Bernard and Lydia David Hagen Sophie Thompson and this the sex that they have is so I'm covering my face as I say this because it's just so cringy and they are just absolutely going for it and I just remember the, the the I just have such a clear visual in my mind of the guy lying down, Bernard lying down, Lydia on top of him, and Bernard is like turning his head every time with every thrust. And it, it's so funny. It's so, and the, the whole time they just sort of cut back to Hugh Grant crouching in a cupboard, crouching in a cupboard. And it's just hysterical. And then he comes out and he's like, oh, he's holding a toothbrush and he's like, oh, found it. <laughs> Naughty little rabbit. <laughs> Found it. I mean, awkward comedy. That is, that is just, oh, just what a lovely bit of farce. It's just Yeah, because actually, although we think of Richard Curtis films as, as, you know, classic romantic comedy and very slick and polished romantic comedy, which they are, there is still that awkward element to it, isn't there? That, that yeah. we saw in Bridesmaids and The Office and all those other things. You know, he is very good at putting people in awkward situations. And maybe Hugh Grant is perhaps the ultimate yeah. guy in those situations when it comes to bumbling and not quite knowing what to say or how to deal with things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because there's that bit I was just thinking of, like, oh, him classic awkwardness was when um, he's talking to a guest at the wedding and he's like, you didn't marry that girl whatever and it, like has your girlfriend whatever and he's like oh she's not my girlfriend anymore and then he was oh I think good job because she was shagging old Watson he's like she's my wife now <laughs> and then that just oh just so cringe so many beautiful cringe moments I think I seem to remember that the specific scene you were talking about with, with David Haig what I particularly liked about it at the time was that I guess in terms of movie sex scenes I was used to kind of seeing A-list glamorous stars in movie yeah, sex scenes yeah. and then you get David Haig who's amazing a brilliant actor but you know he's this kind of balding guy with a moustache and middle-aged and he's not really the person you expect to see in the throes of yeah. passion in a movie <laughs> and that makes it extra funny doesn't it yeah yeah I think I think yeah you're absolutely right and it's um yeah, they, they just, I suppose, two brilliant character actors come together yeah. and it's, um, yeah, it's just, oh, God, I could watch that again and again. 
And it's also there's you get this with Richard Curtis movies. I think there's just a consistency in terms of the gags, isn't there? You know, so certainly at that point in the nineties, you know, I'm a bit older than you, mm. so I remember going to see it as a teenager, and I remember thinking, oh man, British comedy, this is going to be yeah. terrible. It wasn't a great era for that. But then you watch Four Weddings and it just has this consistency of gag quality. And you go, wow, we can do it after all. We are quite funny, you know. Yeah, and it still is kind of the pinnacle of British comedy, really. I can't think of another sort of... Yeah, apart from it changed um, things. Yeah, obviously Notting Hill, but... After that, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I can't think of anything that is sort of so high regarded and so still well loved. Yeah, it's a yeah. Ga- it was. How a about wet, wet, wet? Are you bored with that song yet? The wet, wet, wet song. No, yeah. lovely. Whatever happened to Marty Pello and his sparkly eyes? I'm going to Google that <laughs> after this. Actually, Google Marty Pello. There we go. Make a note of that one, Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I forgot, I forgot to mention Kristen Scott Thomas in it as well. I mean, that's not so much a comedy role, but then it just brings that sort of brilliant um, saltiness and bitterness to the whole proceedings, doesn't it? To have her in there just in a few scenes as a supporting character and bringing a, yeah. a, 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 a serious emotion to it as well. Yeah, that's always really sad that she loves him and he doesn't know yeah. and... Yeah, it's weird. Do you know, every time before weddings, I always forget who he ends up marrying in the end. I'm just thinking about it now. Every time I'm like, who does he marry? Who does he marry in the end? We're not going to say because in case people haven't seen it, we don't want to spoil anything. But... Oh, uh, okay, sure. Um, but I've seen it's it a million also, times and every time I forget. It's also one of two Simon Callow f- films that you've chosen, um, which is rather <gasps> True, interesting. True, I hadn't thought of that. Yes, absolutely uh, right. Oh, yes. Simon Callow really giving it his all in Four Weddings and a Funeral, and he does feature in another film that we will get on to very shortly. So we've talked about Bridesmaids, we've talked about Four Weddings. We move away from wedding ceremonies and churches and bridesmaids and dresses. Well, actually, we stay on dresses, but slightly different ones, <laughs> <laughs> because we move to a film from around the same era, actually, as Four Weddings, from 1993, and Robin Williams at his finest. Tell us more, Ellie. Mrs. Doubtfire. So I, uh, I think I did go to see this at the cinema uh, as a kid. So I would have been like nine or ten, and just remember thinking, this is absolutely brilliant. Just the basic premise is so sort of exciting because this, you know, what's going to happen? This can't end well. So the idea of this bloke dressing up and pretending to be an old lady, it's just such a simple but brilliant idea. I just remember finding it hilarious as a child, especially like this scene, again, perhaps bringing it back to awkwardness, the scene when he's in the restaurant and he's meant to be having dinner with a, a sort of hopefully an employer and also his family. So he has to sort of go back and forth to the toilet, putting on his disguise of Mrs. Doubtfire and then taking it off. I just, yeah, I just remember like, just watching that on the edge of my seat um and there's just so many funny scenes like the bit which would have been you know put in trailers a million times of when uh he has to someone calls to his house i think it is and he's not dressed as mrs doubtfire so he quickly has to put his face in a a cream cake just to cover his face pretend it's like a a mask (laughs) just brilliant i mean there's all sorts of now issues you'd think about the legitimacy of him doing that how legal it would be to pretend to be a woman <laughs> and look after his own children. Yeah, I don't think he's had all his background checks done, basically. But um, yeah, just, yeah, it was quite off the moment. I don't think you would be able to do that now. But it was um, really funny. 
Loved it. And I think there's there's just such an energy about Robin Williams' performance. He was, I mean, he was known anyway as energetic, wasn't he, from his stand-up and other movies and things that he'd done. But you just watch that film and the it's not just the prosthetics, which in their self are amazing, but the, the physicality of him in it. Yeah. He's running around all over the place, like you said, running to the toilet, yeah. running back again. Yeah. He's, he's, he's sort of out of breath the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And anything with Sally Fields in is, uh, gets a thumbs up from me. Not enough things with Sally Fields in, I don't think. And Pierce Brosnan at his peak of sort of handsomeness oh, yeah. as well. Peak <laughs> Pierce, isn't it? Peak Pierce. <laughs> I think it's Pierce's best performance, actually. I think sleazy Pierce is something we need to see more of. I think he's amazing in it. Um, and of course, there is, I, and I think I mentioned this at the top, there is a Steve Tyler, your lookalike connection, because they'd sing Dude Looks Like a Lady in it, don't they? There's that great scene where Aerosmith's Dude Looks Like a Lady is playing and Mrs. Doubtfire is doing the vacking and doing the cleaning and dancing oh, around to Aerosmith. right, yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Um, oh, God. Maybe it's it's all in my subconscious. <laughs> I think he did three to four hours prosthetics every morning for that role. Oh, my Is that Lord. something you as an actor, is that something you'd ever want to put yourself through? I mean, on paper, absolutely not. That sounds horrific, doesn't it? Four, getting there four hours earlier. Crikey. Um, but I suppose it depends what the part is, isn't it? Like that's, I mean, for that part, why not? Um, I'm sure they they made it quicker by the end, probably just only three hours or something. But yeah, you'd have to be really patient and really believe in that, really believe in the part to go through that sort of thing. Yeah, I know. There's actually, I was watching a sort of behind the scenes video uh, that was obviously done in, you know, in, in the early 90s when it was happening, but it's on YouTube now. And I just couldn't, you, you just think, well, you're getting paid a lot of money. I appreciate that. And we still talk about this movie all these years later. But even yeah. so, every morning for however many weeks, that's real commitment to a role, isn't it? Yeah. And I think there's yeah. there's got to be something... I mean, a little bit unhinged about you if you want to go through that every morning. Yeah, true. But I think there probably was something like Robin Williams was such an incredible man and just a genius, really. So I think he would have that sort of obviously have that sort of dedication yeah. to uh, the things that he took on. But yeah, he's a, he was incredible. He's inc- it's an incredible performance to watch. Right. Number four is something very different. And is actually a very funny scene in a funny movie, although it's it's I kind of classed as uh well it's it's uh it's a superhero movie, it's a comic book movie, it's a Marvel movie. Uh tell us more, Ellie. Yeah, so this is sort of uh a, a left world one perhaps, and I imagine that no one else would have put this on the list. But um when I was uh asked to think about yeah, my five sort of favourite comedy films. I think this was on the... Te- I'd watched... It was on the telly or something a couple of days after. And I remember watching this scene again just reminded me of how initially funny I found it. So this film is Guardians of the Galaxy 2, to be specific. Um, right. And the scene yes. that really stands out for me is when... So Groot is little at this point. He's tiny and little. And Bradley Cooper, Rocket, is sort of locked up on a spaceship with Yondu, who's the blue guy who has the whistly arrow thing that kills loads of people. So they're sort of locked up. And the they um, get 
the Finn, yes, they get a little Groot to go on a little um, expedition to get Yondu a replacement head fin. So the head fin allows him to use the whistly thing to kill people. So they give him very, very specific instructions, little Groot, about exactly <laughs> where he'll find it in the captain's quarters. And you, and you go and we go and the camera follows little Groot and we see exactly what they've it sort of explained to him. We see this draw. We think, oh, he's got it cuts back to him in front of Rocket and Yondu and he's holding a pair of pants and he's got it completely, completely wrong. That's my new ass. Yeah, I was pretty sure he didn't know what you were talking about. You have to explain it more careful. It's a... Then they go, no, 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 you have to explain it again sort of thing. So explain it again and then it cuts back to, I think he's holding some sort of disgusting alien animal, looks like a sort of a nude squirrel that's writhing in his arms. And he just gets it wrong so many times and just the increasingly stupid things that he's holding. No! He thinks you want him to wear it as a hat. That's not what I said! He's relieved you don't want him to. And it's so silly and like little Groot's face looking so like, oh, I'm just trying my hardest. It's just, it really, really tickled me. And as did a lot of bits in Guardians of the Galaxy and Galaxy 2, I just think they're really, really good films. I really enjoyed, like, the ensemble cast really made me laugh. Drax, so uh, Dave Batista, I don't know how you say his name. So the guy who's... That's another example of prosthetics to the max. So that's the guy who's sort of covered... He's sort of always shirtless and covered in sort of strange tattoos. His character, who has absolutely no sense of irony at all, is... Um, just provides so many fantastic little moments. Um, yeah, I just, I've really, I think there's really, really good films, really good films. And like something like me and my husband both really enjoy them. So it's nice to have something. We don't really have much in common, to be honest, like in life. Um, so to have Guardians of the Galaxy or like, we like that kind of thing on Game of Thrones. That's about all we've got. And Game of Thrones has obviously ended now. So it's, it's tricky times in our household. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just ki- think it's a really good considering film. Considering you killed comedy for him as well. I mean, you know, yeah. Marvel's all you've got left. Yeah, that's, that's all we've got. That's all we've got left, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that, um, you, you mentioned earlier that, that he was a real fan of, of these movies, you initially less so. Do you think that the comedy element is something that really drew you into them? If they were the really yeah. serious and heavy going, you might be less interested. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. So I remember very much the first one. I was like, uh, we usually, if we go to the movies, one of us picks and the next time the other one picks. So this was his pick. And I would never have gone to see Guardians of the Galaxy normally. But I went along and was so, like, delightfully surprised about how great it was. I think he's ha- he's always had it sort of... It's always been difficult him, for him to bounce back because he made me go and see Batman versus Superman. Um, and I've never wanted to die more in my life um so it's sort of that he loves he loves a superhero so um yeah it's it can be a bit dicey ground sometimes but i really really enjoyed it and they are so funny they really are the comedy in it is brilliant chris pratt is fabulous in it we're just watching parks and rec now again and it's it's so funny sort of seeing the transition of him as sort of the slightly chubby lazy guy on the sofa at the beginning of Parks and Rec and then obviously his transformation to sort of handsome quill in these films is a it's a real interesting progression to see how his sort of career's gone and he's brilliant in it he really is yeah he makes it look easy doesn't he and I think because we're talking about getting lost in in great films in this podcast the Guardians of the Galaxy film specifically it's so 
easy and enjoyable to do that with those movies because the worlds that they create and the characters that they give us you are just transported away for a a couple of hours aren't you you don't even think about the outside world watching them and that really is what it's all about that really is getting lost in a good film yeah absolutely yeah for sure right we've got some quick fire questions for you ellie before we move on to your last film choice yeah. Um, first of all, stand-up comedian. We know you do that. We know you talk about <laughs> pretty much everything in your stand-up comedy. <laughs> uh, no holds barred. Have you ever had like a painful experience, a car crash moment in your stand-up career that you that immediately springs to mind? Hundreds, hundreds of car crash <laughs> moments. One particular one that stands out was just uh, there was this notorious gig that ran in London that no longer runs because it was so horrific. And it was on a Saturday night in this um, sort of hotel function room thing. And it was notorious for just loads and loads of stags and hens going. So the room was packed full of people who were off their rocker and who all they wanted to do was talk to each other. They had no interest in listening to anyone else. And... um, I, yeah, I went along and I'd heard how bad it was and stuff. And I was like, how hard can it really be? And I went up there and just, just died on my hole. It was like I was taught, it was like, sort of imagine like a school lunch hall and that just constant, really loud chatter. It was like that, but with me sort of shouting jokes over the top of it. And I think I remember saying like, along the lines of, why aren't you listening to me? Or something like that. Like, why don't you, wait, what are you chatting about or something? Why don't you listen? And then one guy was like, yeah, well, listen if you're funny. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, bye-bye. So I think I did my 20-minute set in about 10 minutes flat, zipped off, never did that gig again. It was called Sway, Sway in Covent Garden. Thank God it's died a death. So may it rest in peace. It was horrific. And I'm glad never to have to do I'm it all, again. Um- <laughs> I mean, I know that a lot of comedians, you know, ha- have these situations. It's obviously just part of the territory. But coming back from that, do you just immediately want to get back to another one, get back on the horse so you can just have a good experience? I think you're just so glad to be off stage and going home. And then I, I always find if I share the story of about how horrific it was, it sort of punctures the awkwardness yeah. of it for me. So as long as I get to tell someone or text someone or write about it on facebook it just sort of takes the sting out of it a little bit but there is um sarah millican has made uh, the millican's law which is after a good gig you can only congratulate yourself till 10 o'clock the next morning and also if you have a bad gig you can only sort of have a go at yourself until 10 o'clock the next morning then you have to sort of write new day the slate is clean and then you move on and i think that's a good way to look at it because yeah you're always going to have good gigs you're always going to have bad gigs and it's sometimes it's really nothing to do with you so you just have to like just just move on and swallow it but it must be a relief now that people know you is that they come to see you you know you're not just like a random person on the stage they've paid to see you so you know that they're going to enjoy themselves right that is nice when I do tour shows, yeah, that if I come out, I know that at least probably half of the people know who I am and have actively come to see me. Then, of course, there's the people they've brought along who are quite often sort of annoyed that they can't be at home watching Strictly, <laughs> uh, have no idea who I am and kind of treat this like a hostage situation. So you still have some work <laughs> to do. But I quite enjoy talking to the hostages in the room and sort of seeing 
where they're at and what they know about me and stuff. So yeah, there's there's always a challenge. But yes, it's definitely a different kettle of fish to when you just sort of walk up on a mixed bill when no one has any idea who you are. No, they just sort of come along to see comedy in general rather than you. So it's it's lovely and it still amazes me. And I find it just really humbling when people have actually paid money to spend their weekend nights with me. So yeah, it's, it's wicked. I love it. And heckles, do you have... Uh, answers stored up or uh, do you rely on your on your wit on the night uh, to respond yeah I think this is a funny one because I think people always think you get heckled way more than you do so I I could probably count on one and a half hands how many times I've been heckled as such and it's never been anything that I couldn't deal with and no I don't have any put downs that are stored in my head usually it's they can usually you give them enough rope they will hang themselves so i'll happily happily uh yeah help them do that (laughs) and uh finally before we move on to your last film getting into comedy for you as a woman compared to getting into comedy if you're a bloke how different is it do you think how much more difficult is it how much have things changed in recent years uh, I suppose the honest answer is I don't know what it's like for the other way around because I didn't do that. I'm not a bloke. I've done comedy as myself. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's it's all been okay. Um, I think there are certain uh, challenges that blokes don't face. Um, I think it's getting a bit better. I think representation is still really important. And I think having more parity on panel shows and on... Um, whether they're comedy or comedy entertainment shows in general, I think is important. And also not having um, quite often what annoys me is when you see, let's call it a panel show or a show with a panel on and there'll be a couple of male comedians and then a female, I don't know, presenter or celebrity or, you know, a lovely, perfectly brilliant woman, but there's not female comics, which I think there should be, you know, equal in that way. That's that's what gets my goat sometimes. But um, yeah, I think it's getting better. I think it will get better. I watched you on uh, Would I Lie to You? And what I liked, and I guess this feeds back into what I was saying about honesty earlier, is that, and I mean this in the nicest way, I don't think you're a very good liar. And that's I a ni- am the that's worst a nice liar. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> horrific. I'm horrific at lying, um, which is funny. That's a great trait to have, though. Is it? I don't know because it. Well, it's it's, often... it's honest and, and 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 polite, isn't it? You know, you you're not yeah. gonna you're not gonna get one over on people. No, I'm definitely not going to get one over on people. But I think sometimes in comedy, I have to I have to make myself lie because you go. Sometimes you tell things that aren't you know didn't happen, but you take things to the nth degree. Like where could it have gone? What could someone have said that would have been funnier? And sometimes I'm a bit like, well, that well, I can't say that because that didn't happen. That's not the truth. And then it's like, oh no, hang on. And I think the sort of I think there's a, the phrase never let the truth get in front of a good joke. And I think that's something <laughs> that I try and live by. Um, but yeah, in life, like I you know, would I lie to you it was just yes, so hard to lie on the spot like that. <laughs> Final film time. It's uh, your second movie featuring the great Simon Callow. He was in Four Weddings, and he's also in this one from 1985. Yes, so a room with a view, which is absolutely not on anyone else's list i'm sure not really a comedy i don't know what kind of what how would you well i i i was thinking the same thing so i looked it up on wikipedia which of course is always right and it described it as a romance film but then at the same time you know it it does send up society of that era this is edwardian 
England yeah. and Italy, isn't it, that it's set? So I think yeah. it's a comedy of manners in, in a certain way. Uh, it's maybe not Judd Apatow comedy, you know, pooping in a dress. But um, I do think that A Room with a View would have been better had it had a scene like that in it. Um, but, uh, but you know, it is, it, it is satirical in certain elements, I think. Yeah, I think I suppose it was very satirical at the time. So it's um, an adaption of an Ian Forster book. So it's, yeah, set in Edwardian times. And it's about, about this girl called Lucy Honeychurch. And it's sort of her tale of travelling through Italy and then back to England and then her love story that sort of comes out of these travels. And it's so odd because my mum, for some reason, my mum put this on when we were kids. So for me and my sister, it's both a really film that we really remember really fondly. But I have no idea as a child why I was that interested in it. It's really odd, I suppose, perhaps because it is quite gentle and it paints such a beautiful picture of England, the landscape and even like the the summer light and the noises of the birds really makes me feel so sort of happy and nostalgic. And I don't know if it's like, I think maybe now it's nostalgic of my childhood watching it, but it is very, very English. And it's also very funny in places. It really is. And the scene that really stands out to me, and I think particularly when I was a child, watching this scene was just outrageous. So it's um, <laughs> a bit, <laughs> it's a scene where um, a few of the, the men in the movie go skinny dipping. So the men include uh, Simon Callow, Mr. Beeb, who's sort of this hapless vicar who's lovely. And then a very handsome young Rupert Graves, who plays the main character Lucy his, he plays her sister Freddie and I remember I think I really had a bit of a crush on Freddie as well with his sort of floppy hair um, and they yeah they they skinny dip and it's very sort of raucous and jumping and lots of splashing and you get a sort of a sight of a bum or a little bit of willy and it was <laughs> thrilling to a child Simon Callow's bum I think from what I remember yes yes and then of course they get discovered by Freddie's mum and Lucy's there as well. And just like to see Mr. Beeb with no clothes on is just, it's just so silly and lovely. It's sort of a really just, um, I don't know, even though it's got nudity in it, it's just sort of very naive humour. It's really, it's really sweet. And it's a lovely, lovely film. And it's the only, so I studied English, English literature. And my husband always says how I am the least like well-read English graduate ever. But this is the only sort of olden, olden book Book of Olden Times um, that I've read and have genuinely enjoyed because I'd seen the film. So the, the, when you read the book, you realise how true to it the film was. And it's um, oh, it's just wonderful. And there's like Maggie Smith is in it, who's fantastic. There's, um, oh, who plays, I've forgotten, uh, the guy who plays Cecil, her the guy oh it's Daniel Day-Lewis isn't it thank you yes Daniel Day-Lewis is in it as this sort of I, it was years before I realised that's who it was and they have a very oh him and um, uh, so Helena Bonham Carter who plays the main character have a very awkward kissing scene which I remember thinking that was very funny as well just yeah lots of, sort of tiny little awkward social moments Oh, we get back to the awkwardness again. It's there yeah, in nearly all true. of them, isn't it? Yeah, it's true, yeah. Um, and I, 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 watching it again and seeing Maggie Smith in it from 35 years ago, you realise that that when she's in Downton as you know dowager, you know, that it was all there. You know, she's been doing yeah. that kind of sniffy, snooty, yes. looking down her nose routine. For, uh, no one does it better. I mean, that's what I want her to do. She's so good at it. And to have yeah. her and Judy Dench in a movie together, I mean, that's an amazing experience, right? 
Yeah. And this Helena Bonham Carter, when she was just really, I think she must have been like, I don't know, 18, 19. Yeah. Just so young and beautiful. Yeah. It just, I don't know if it's sort of a, a, a forgotten gem, but yeah, the cast is fantastic. So I really recommend people digging it out because it's not something you didn't, you know, it's not a Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not a blockbuster, but it's a lovely, lovely, a lovely watch. It's not Marvel's A Room With A View. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's, I'm so pleased you chose it actually because that that specific scene was also a thing in my house when I was a kid. Oh, was it? Yeah, right. and bizarrely, I th- um, I think because you know I I watched it as a kid and the romance element of the film because it's incredibly romantic. Yeah. You know, I was what nine or ten, so it meant nothing to me. But that scene, the the yeah. the skinny dipping, I mean, as yeah. a kid, that's what you respond to. And we yeah. watched it on video and we rewound it and laughed yeah, yeah, again yeah. at it. And, you know, maybe <laughs> even did it in slow motion, to be honest. Yeah. I can't remember. You know, but it's that yeah. that specific scene. I think also because it was Simon Callow, who's just a brilliant comedy actor, a real, like, lovey thespian, but, but very... Um, very very funny and so yeah i was so, i couldn't believe it when i saw that scene on your list because i thought oh my ah. god that, that's from my childhood too you know yeah, that was the yeah. moment i really responded to we obviously just like the sight of people without their clothes on well i guess this is what kids did before we had access to smartphones that's how you saw content that was inappropriate <laughs> <laughs> you saw simon callow's bum was your was your access to dodgy images <laughs> <laughs> Let's just run through those choices again, Ellie, before we wrap up. So we had uh, Bridesmaids, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Mrs. Doubtfire, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and A Room with a View, your favourite comedy moments. It's been so great to chat to you. So great to talk about getting lost in brilliant movies. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to go and Google Marty Pello from Wet, Wet, Wet. (laughs) That's got to be the outwards. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Now, if you got lost in this episode, let us know at View Entertainment on all the usual social platforms. The hashtag is Get Lost in Great Stories. And don't forget, immersing ourselves in great film at the cinema isn't just fun. Research shows it's actually good for our well-being too. So, View has partnered with Medi Cinema. MediCinema build and run cinemas in hospitals to help improve the lives of patients. If you'd like to find out more or support their incredible work, head over to the podcast show notes for further details. Until next week, it's goodbye for now from me, James King, and all at View Entertainment. Entertainment.